Today, so happy that we're here. If you have not yet gotten a Bible reading schedule, make sure you get one. We're still pretty early in it. First Thessalonians 3, make sure you get a Bible reading schedule if you don't have one. They're located out there in the lobby. want to ask you also uh, to say a prayer for me today. Uh, after I leave here, I'm preaching three lessons here. I'm going to Tucson, uh, to Northside. To preach down there for their evening. So that's four lessons. Four lessons. Uh, so there's a lot going on uh, today with me and my family serving the Lord. But hey, if you're going to be tired doing anything, you got to be tired for the Lord, right? They'll get better than that. Um, another thing I want to say is we got the class rules slide up. My mentor, Max, remember, was here a few weeks ago. He sent me a text message saying, can you send me that slide for the rules of your class? He said, I like that. He's never asked me for anything, especially when it comes to preaching or teaching. So I said, sure thing. So I, I, I guess he wants to use it also. So we, we might have started something here in the country. We, we don't know. We, we might have. But Max really liked that. He really liked that when he was here. Go to lesson number four in your workbook, lesson number four. Today, we're going to continue our series of lessons on Bible authority. We're going to try to wrap up our study about inspiration of the scriptures. We're going to try to wrap that up. That's lesson four. That was a two-part lesson, lessons three and four. We're going to try to do lesson four today. Before we jump into that, let's just bow our heads and let's say a prayer. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are thankful, God, for the opportunity you've given us, Father, to come together to open up your word and consider your word and study how we can trust that the Bible is your word. We pray that you will bless our time of Bible study. We pray that you will bless us all, fathers. We strive to serve you and glorify your name. We're so thankful for this wonderful church. We're so thankful for the people here who love you and serve you and want to do what's right. We're thankful for our shepherds who lead us. And we pray for all the Bible classes that are going on at this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in our last class, if you remember, we talked about some questions that help us determine the inspiration of the Bible. Now, these were questions, if you recall, that brethren in the first century had to find answers to when they were trying to figure out what was coming from God and what wasn't coming from God. And so some of the questions, I'm just going to go through this as quick as I can, just to kind of bring us back to speed since it's been a week since we've been able to have our class. Some of the questions they, they had to find answers to were questions like, okay, who wrote this book? We got this letter from, to, Thessalon to the Thessalonians. We got a letter to Corinth. We got a letter to the Roman church. Okay, who wrote this book? Who wrote this book? Did an inspired person write this book? Or did an uninspired person write this book? If Paul wrote this, we can take it serious. If Peter wrote it, if Matthew wrote it, if Luke wrote it, we can take it serious. So they, have, we, they had to know who wrote the book. And we still got to uh, answer this question today. This is why we don't accept the so-called Gnostic Gospels, because they were not written by inspired people. We also need to know when was the book written. Was it written during the time of inspiration? or when the time of inspiration was over. This is another reason why we don't accept the Gnostic Gospels, because they're written hundreds and hundreds of years after the time of inspiration. 
after the apostles, after the prophets. This is why we don't accept the apocrypha books, those Old Testament historical books, those books that were written between the Testaments. They were written after the time where God was still speaking to men through the prophets. And so you got to find an answer to that question. Also got to know this, who's all accepting this book as coming from God? Again, you're a Christian in the first century and you're getting letters from different people. We need to know who's accepting this. What other churches are accepting this as scripture? Are the apostles endorsing this? Is Paul endorsing this? Is Peter endorsing this? What about the prophets? What about the prophets we even have in this church that we're part of, if we're part of the church at Philippi, or the church at Thessalonica, or the church in Corinth? There are many different, many different people that we can talk to who have inspiration that can help us figure out if this book is really coming from God. And then a very important question is, what is the book teaching? This is why we don't accept the Book of Mormon as the inspired word of God. This is why we don't accept the Jehovah's Witness Bible as the inspired word of God. This is why we don't accept the Gnostic Gospels as inspired by God. What is the book teaching? Is the book teaching things that is in harmony with what Paul taught and John and James and Matthew, or is it teaching things that contradict the things that they wrote? What is the book teaching about Jesus? Is the book teaching that Jesus is the Son of God? Is the book teaching that Jesus came in the flesh? See, the Gnostic Gospels, these false Gospels didn't teach that. They didn't teach Jesus came in the flesh. What is the book teaching about morality? What is the book teaching about sin? What is the book, book teaching about salvation and what a person must do to get right with God? See, these are questions that must be answered. And then the final question we looked at is, has the book withstood the test of time? And what we meant by that question is found in 1 Peter. If you want to just turn there with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We closed our class by reading 1 Peter 1 and verse number... Let's just start with verse 22, verse 22 of 1 Peter 1, where Peter speaks to these Christians, but since you have an obedience to the truth, notice, purify your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which was preached to you. So notice how we see here how when it comes to the word of God, the word of God will always endure. It will last forever. It doesn't matter how, how zealous evil men try to be when it comes to destroying the Bible and eliminating the Bible from planet Earth God's word will always prevail. No one can stop the word of God from being preserved. And so we made the point that the same God who made the sun and the moon and the stars and the various galaxies and, and creatures and, and people, he is certainly capable and powerful enough to reveal his word and preserve his word. There are no lost books of the Bible. 
There are no lost gospels. To say that we don't have everything God intends us to have is to question God's power and his ability to reveal it and preserve it is essentially saying that men are more powerful than God. And I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. And so that's what we looked at last time. But let's now transition. Let's go to lesson four and talk about some things that inspiration does not demand. I think we need to conclude this portion of these lessons by looking at that. Now, we know so far, we know what inspiration does demand. We know that inspiration is, is, is very simple. It is God choosing somebody to be an instrument for him. It is God choosing someone to be a prophet. Now, when we use the word prophet, we're not just talking about someone who by the power of God can predict the future. If you think that's all a prophet is, you got a very limited understanding of what a prophet is. A prophet is not just someone who is able to predict future events by the power of God, although that is often part of it, but a prophet, biblically speaking, for the most part, is just someone who is speaking for God. Someone that God is choosing to reveal his will to and that person then proclaims that, that word or writes that word down. Someone who gets revelation from God and tells it to other people. That's what a prophet is. And, and that can be revealing things from the past. I mean, was Moses there in the beginning in Genesis 1? Was he there in the beginning? How did he know that? How does he know what happened in the beginning? How does he know? God told him. God told him. It can also be talking about things going on in the present. Remember, the prophets and the Old Testament, for the most part, were talking about the sins of the people of Israel at that time and the, the idolatry they were involved in. They were prophets. And it also can involve talking about things in the future, talking about captivity and the coming of Jesus. It's someone who is a spokesman for God. And so these people, the prophets, receive revelation. They were moved by the Holy Spirit but there are some things we need to understand that inspiration does not demand. So this is hopefully going to open our minds up a little bit to a better understanding to what inspiration is exactly. Because often people really misunderstand what it means to be an inspired person. So what does inspiration not demand? Well, one thing it does not demand is it does not demand a person forfeiting their identity. They don't have to forfeit their identity or their personality. They don't have to become a lifeless robot. I think so often we, we, when we think of inspiration, we think of Paul sitting at a table and, and, and you know, kind of like the Adams family, little hand thing. Like God just kind of gets his hand and, and Paul says, oh, my goodness, what's my hand doing here? And just starts writing. No. If you think that's what inspiration is, no, that's, 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 that's not it. That, that, that's not inspiration. Inspiration doesn't, doesn't involve someone becoming a lifeless robot. It doesn't involve God grabbing somebody's hand and they just see their hand moving. They're like wondering, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? No, that's, that's, that's not inspiration. With inspiration, God is able to use the total man. He's able to use the total man. He's able to use a man's personality, his background, his culture, his language, his vocabulary, and his education to record his will. This is something that is easy to, easy to recognize in our Bible. I mean, don't you notice how different 
the books of the Bible are when it comes to the content and the emotions that are found in the book. Haven't you noticed that? Does anybody see differences between how David writes and how Paul writes? Do you see a difference? What's the difference you see? And remember, you got one comment, so be careful here. What's the difference you see between how David writes, the Psalms, and how Paul writes? Or are they both just like programmed robots and you can't tell the difference? Yes, Gary. Poetic philosophical. Very good. Gary said poetic versus philosophical. I like that. Poetic with David because he's a musician. I mean, that's what he did. He was a musician. So you're going to see that. That's his personality. That's part of who he is. But Paul's not a musician. So Paul is, is more educated. He's going to be more philosophical. Not saying that David didn't have some education, but Paul's writings is not going to look like David's. And so when you look at David's stuff, it's very poetic. It's very emotional. Very emotional. You ever notice that when you read? We just read it this morning from Psalm 22. Then you, then you see David's emotions in that. Very emotional. But, but Paul's is more logical. You look at his, his, his writings, he's making a lot of logical points in his writings. Haven't you noticed that before? And then look at Luke's writings. Luke is clearly a Greek by the stuff he says. He's clearly an educated man. He is clearly someone who is very familiar with the customs of, of the Greeks and the Romans. And then you look at Peter and John's writings, and they're always saying things very personal, talking about things they went through with Jesus and things they saw with Jesus. The point is God is able to use the total man. They're not programmed robots. They kept their personality, their background, their culture, their language, their education. All of these things were part of inspiration. God didn't strip them of emotions. God didn't strip them of their backgrounds. Even in the case of Luke, notice how inspiration for Luke didn't just involve him sitting at a table and God just telling him stuff. But Luke said he did research. Luke said he talked to eyewitnesses. He talked to people. See, that is a way that God could inspire people. God could providentially put Luke with the right people to get information from, to get eyewitness testimony from. All of that goes under inspiration. It's way more complicated than we give it credit for. There's a lot to inspiration. And, and, and so that's the first point we want to make. But here's another point. And this is when we get to some questions now in the book. It also didn't involve a person knowing the entire will of God. Notice the, notice the wording carefully. An inspired person did not have to know the entire will of God. So let's see what you got on some of these answers. I'm going to read the text, and, and you just raise your hand. Tell me what you got here. So 1 Peter 1, and young people, feel free at any point to let me know what you got here. Put your hand up high for me. 1 Peter 1 and verse 10, okay? So let's read this. It says, as to this salvation, 1 Peter 1, 10, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things 
which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, the question is, what did the prophets write about? And it should be a very simple answer. The answer should have just no more than five words in it. No more than five words in this answer. So what is it? What did the prophets write about? Keep it in context with this point. Based on those verses. Yes, John. Okay, the grace that would come through Christ. The text specifically says that that's good. What else? What did they write about? Things they did not, starts with a U now, understand. They wrote about things they didn't understand. That's what he's saying there. Isaiah's writing about a Messiah that he's not going to be alive to see. <laughs> and so did the prophets. The other prophets are writing about this Messiah who's coming, and they don't get this stuff. They don't understand it. So we see here that just because you're inspired doesn't mean you understand everything you're writing about. Isaiah wrote Isaiah 53, but he didn't get all that because he's 700 years before it happens. Does that make sense? An inspired person didn't mean you had all knowledge. It didn't even mean you understood everything you were writing about. You're just writing what God tells you. Now, that's hard for us to really appreciate because we get it, don't we? <laughs> we get it. But we're after the cross. The prophets are before the cross, way before the cross. But that's not, that's not the only thing because there's something interesting Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 16. Now, this is real interesting here because Paul's inspired. Wouldn't you agree? He's an inspired man. But what does he say here to the Corinthians? Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Now, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait. You inspired, Paul. You're an inspired man of God. But what did Paul say he didn't have? A perfect a perfect what? Some of y'all should really be able to relate to this. He didn't have a perfect memory. He didn't have a perfect memory. So he's an inspired man. But he can't remember all the people he baptized. Now wait, what's that all about? What is that telling you? He can't remember all the people he baptized in Corinth? And you're inspired? What is that telling you? Yep. And God didn't tell him everything. I mean, there's certain things God is telling him, but there are certain things, hey, he's a man. He's not going to remember stuff like that. God's not going to reveal to Paul, hey, you baptized 200 people in Corinth. God's not going to tell him that. So being inspired don't mean you got a perfect memory. Don't mean you can remember everything you, you did, even in the place that you preached. That's important. But let's keep going here, because being inspired also doesn't mean that you're going to uh, get an answer to every trivial question that people may have in 2023. You know, as a preacher, I get all kinds of weird questions. And most of them come from adults, not the young people. I get questions like, what was Paul's doing in the flesh? You ever been asked that before? Oh, I think it's this. I think it's that. Why did Jesus use spit to heal people? Where exactly was the Garden of Eden located? 
People ask me that kind of stuff all the time, and I give them the, the same answer every time. You know what it is? I don't have a clue what, well, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I don't know. And you know why I don't know? I guess people think preachers can just give them answers the Bible don't give them. I can't do that. I can't tell you because the Bible don't tell you. Remember John 16, 12 through 15? Jesus said to the apostles that the Holy Spirit was going to reveal to them all the what? Truth. All the truth. All the truth of what? Anybody? All the truth of what? Of salvation. All the truth that God wants us to know so we can have a relationship with him. Then we can get our sins forgiven. That's the all the truth. Go in your Bible, please, to Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is a great passage here. I love this verse. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Moses wrote these words in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons that we may not just know them, but observe all the words of the law. So notice it talks about the secret things and the things that have been revealed to us. The things revealed to us is the stuff we have in our Bibles. And that stuff is there for a reason, for us not just to know it, but to do it, to observe it. But here's a question that's in your book. What are the secret things? Moses talks about the secret things belong to the Lord. What are, what are the secret things? Brother Kevin, what are the secret things? <laughs> Very simple. The simple answer is always the best answer. It really is. The secret things are the things not revealed. The things we may want to know, but God says, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell it to you. Brother Don, yes, sir. Go ahead, sir. Brother Don said it just right. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, great passage. In fact, we're going to look at that in more detail in our next class, Lord willing. But that's, throughout the generations, God is telling men what he wants them to know at that time, what is important at that time. And in our case, the things we have in the complete Bible is the stuff, all the stuff God wants us to know because the point of the Bible is to understand about salvation through Jesus Christ and how to get our sins forgiven by his blood. That's what it's about. Yes, sir, Brother Mitch. Will you allow me to say one thing? Yes, go ahead, sir. <laughs> you can say as many as you want. You're an elder, so go ahead. <laughs> And what you're saying there, Mitch, because Mitch is saying that while God used the total man, every part of the Bible is still inspired. And that's the, that is, to me, Mitch, the remarkable thing about inspiration is how God can use the total man and still inspire every word. And the verse to back up what you're saying, because what you're saying is Bible. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21. These were men 
who were moved by the Holy Spirit and they didn't give their own interpretation. The idea there is they didn't just get concepts. They, they, God used to say, okay, you guys fill in the blanks. You kind of put your own spin on it. No, 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 no. They removed the whole way through it. Every verse, every word, every part comes from God while God still uses who they are to record the information. So 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21 goes exactly with what Mitch is saying there. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. So look at this next part here. I, I, think, I think we're seeing where we're going here. I think we're seeing where we're going here, and I appreciate y'all's comments. This is good stuff. It doesn't require a person being sinless. You know, we're talking about the total man, but these men who wrote the Bible, they were sinners, right? They were sinners like me, and they were sinners like you, and yet God chose them to be instruments to record his word. So this applies to Peter. Peter wrote two books in our Bibles. Was Peter a sinner? He denied the Lord, didn't he? Denied, denied the Lord, cussed while he did it. And he, and even in Galatians 2, he was involved in hypocrisy, uh, causing division in the church. And yet, God chooses him to write two books of the Bible. What about the Apostle Paul? You look at 1 Corinthians 9, and Paul says in verse 27 that he had to buffet his body, make it a slave. He had to discipline himself, otherwise he could be what? Disqualified. And Paul was even a persecutor of the church before he became a Christian. And God chose him to write about half the New Testament. What about Moses? Can we read about Moses sinning in the Bible? God told him, speak to the rock. What does he do? He strikes it. And yet he writes the first five books of our Bibles. What about David? We're studying about David wrote the Psalms. Did he ever sin? Can we read about his sins? Took a man's wife, committed adultery with her, then set her husband up to be killed, committed murder. What about his son Solomon? Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. What sins did Solomon get involved in, the Bible says? Idolatry. He let his wives lead him astray. These weren't perfect people. They were not perfect people, just like we're not perfect. And yet they were still inspired by God. Let me give you one more here, and then we'll get to these, these questions, okay? It also doesn't involve every statement a person recording being true. Now think about that carefully. The Bible is a book of truth. Okay, we get that. Well, I'm not denying that. But sometimes there are statements in the Bible that are not true. There's a part of the Bible that says there is no God. Did you know that? There is no God. Is that true? Psalm 14.1 says there is no God. But what does it say before he makes that statement? The fool says it. Okay, so you can't just take part of the verse, right? Can't just take part of the verse. And Matthew 27, 63, Jesus is called deceiver. He's called a deceiver in that verse. Is that true? Who said that? The Pharisees said that. So we have Matthew recording a lie. You see? 2 Samuel 1, verse 10. We'll, we'll study that later on this year, but there... You have an Amalekite showing up to David after Saul dies. 
Remember, Saul dies in battle against the Philistines, and the Amalekite says, hey, David, I saw what happened, and I, and I helped Saul out. I didn't want him to be taken advantage of by the Philistines, so he asked me to kill him, and I killed him. Is that what happened, really, according to the end of 1 Samuel? No, that's not what happened. It's not what happened at all. The Amalekite was lying. He was lying because he wanted David to give him a reward. And guess what happened to him because he lied? <laughs> He's killed. <laughs> David kills him. That backfired, didn't it? So, so that's an example of something not true being recorded in the Bible, but we know it's not true when we study properly. And then in Matthew 26, 74, Peter said, I don't know Jesus. I don't know the man. He even cussed while he said it. Was that true that Peter didn't know Jesus? No, he knew Jesus. Oh, he knew him very well. It's been three years with him. But that's a part of the Bible where you find something not true being recorded. And then Genesis 3, 4, the famous one where Satan says to Eve, you surely will. That was a lie. That's a lie. So, again, the Bible comes from God, no doubt about it. But we got to study. Got to study carefully. Because sometimes the Bible writers record things people said or things Satan said that are not true. Okay? So let's go to our questions. Application questions. And this will give a chance now for some discussion. I want to have a little discussion, please, if you don't mind. I'm going to put the questions on the slide. I want to hear what you got from your study. You had about a week to do this. Hopefully you prayed about it. Maybe you did it with your kids. I, I would like to hear what you have to say. And young people, if you got something, I really want to hear what you have to say, okay? We're all learning together. Don't be afraid. We're all learning together, all right? So question one. Question one, as we wrap this up. Give an example of God using someone's personality and inspiration. Anybody got one? Yes, Brenda. What do you have, ma'am? Brenna says Solomon. Brenna says Solomon and how poetic it is. Oh, that is a great one. You look at Solomon's writings, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, even the Proverbs. You see the, the, the poetry, especially in Song of Solomon. And Brenna, wouldn't you agree? You see that wisdom. You see that great wisdom from Solomon all through his book and how he values wisdom. His books are very, very unique. That's good, Brenna. Very good. Anyone else? Brother Mike, yes, sir. I picked all of the apostles because they all have different backgrounds. And each of their backgrounds came into account as they preached the gospel. Especially the three that were fishermen, because it says, I'm going to make you fishermen of men, instead of just fishermen. Which is important because fishermen knew there would be updates and there's going to be down days. I'm going to catch a bunch and then I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. They yeah. were able to wipe off their feet. No, that's good. Mike said all of the apostles. And Mike, the two that really stand out to me personally, and there's obviously no right or wrong answer here, but just I'm just talking about, as I was thinking about this, John's stuff, you talk about the fishermen, John's writing is very unique. You can tell he has a very close relationship with Jesus. He even calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. And Paul's stuff, I mean, Paul's writings, this is why they were so easily accepted in the canon 
in the first century because they were so distinct. Paul is a very educated man, has a lot of Jewish background, and he's always making these logical points throughout his writings. So you can easily recognize Paul's stuff. Someone in the back, yes, yes, Caitlin, yes, ma'am. Uh, that's good, Kaylin. Kaylin brings up what Peter says about Paul and how Paul wrote some things that are hard to understand. So you see Peter's personality a little bit. And then how, when you expect Peter to say something like that, like, oh, man, Paul's the woo. But he also recognized how educated Paul was. And as you said, they were an educated fisherman. So the point is, we're not saying these men are not inspired, but their personalities are coming out in the process. So that's that's kind of cool to me. One more. Anybody else have have one. Yes, Shawn Michael. Wow, that's a good one. So Sean brings up Jesus, I mean John, and his loving personality and how Jesus left his mother in John's care. Now that's unique to John's gospel, isn't it? That's unpersonal there. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. So did anybody else have one? I just want to, I'll maybe get one more here. I saw. I just. I don't want to, Yes. Yes. Peggy. Yes. So Peggy brings up Jonah, his rebellious attitude coming through. Absolutely. Uh, and Jonah ends in a very interesting way. It ends with Jonah just not getting his way. He's got to deal with it. Got to deal with it. Here's one to write down that I, that I wrote down for me, and it's Luke. Luke is, is the main one for me personally. Luke chapter 1, read this when you get home. Luke 1, 1 through 4. Luke 1, 1 through 4. Luke clearly is letting us know I'm a historian. I'm a historian. I'm talking to people. I'm talking to eyewitnesses, Theophilus, whoever this Theophilus guy is. I want you to know the exact truth about Jesus. So I want you to know that I did the homework on this and I talked to people and you can trust what I'm going to say because I talked to people who knew Jesus. So Luke really shows his medical background throughout his, throughout his gospel, his education, his, his culture, his race, being a Greek. You really see that come out a lot in Luke's gospel. I'm going to give you the answer to this one. This one's a little more difficult because our time is running out. But what are some ways in which God could have inspired men? And that question may have been a little bit confusing, but I kind of gave you an answer to it. If God wanted to, God could have made these men program robots. He could have just said, I'm turning your brain off right now, and you're just going to be a zombie, and you're just going to write. He could have just said, hey, your brain can work, but I'm just going to use your hand. And you just sit there, and let me just, let me just do this for you. God could, have, could God have done that if he wanted to? Absolutely. God could do anything. There's no limit to his power. God could have turned them into program robots. God could have used what's called mechanical inspiration. Mechanical inspiration means I'm just using your hand. Mechanical inspiration. He could have write, inspired them all to write in the same style. So either everybody's using poetry or everybody's using history. He could have inspired them to all write the same way. He could have stripped them of their background, stripped them of their education, stripped them of who they were. God could have did that, but he chose not to do it that way. God chose to give them the information directly from heaven, every verse, every word, every part, but I'm still going to use all of who you are. 
to record my will. That's powerful, isn't it? That's powerful. Yes, ma'am. Yes. And wouldn't the Bible be born if it was all written the same way? It'd be very born if it was no personality involved in it. Absolutely. Yes, Brother Greg. Then we'll get ready to close here. Yep. And he recognized all those facts about it. So inspiration also works to entwine all these stories together that were being written down so we could study that and come to the similar conclusion. Oh, that's good stuff. Oh, that's, that's really good. Um, just real quick, I'm, then I'll let you go. I want to just give you this real quick. This is an easy one. How could the writers prove they were inspired? They can not only preach and teach from God, but they also could confirm it how? I put passages in your book to help you with that one. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, Hebrews 2, all of those verses talk about confirmation through miracles. How can we determine whether an inspired statement is true or false? We went through a whole list of false statements. How do you determine that? Through good Bible study, through studying the context, harmonizing this, what this says with, with other parts of the Bible, doing good Bible study. That's how you can determine whether or not a statement is true are false. And then finally, what should inspiration of the scriptures ultimately drive us to do? Well, that's easy. Study it and obey it. Believe it. Have faith in it. Understand you got a special book in front of you. And then study it every day and just do what it says because it comes from God. So it's not enough just to know this stuff. We got to put it into practice. Thank y'all so much. I thought that was some good discussion there. Y'all are doing so well. Our young people are doing fantastic. So glad y'all are in here. We're going to take about a nine-minute break, and we're going to come back together. And on Wednesday, we're going to start Lesson 5, okay? Thank y'all very much.